Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. His name is Seth Wolfson and he's next. And now, from the legendary Studio B. So you're in Seattle with Gregor. Wow. All right. Welcome to another season of So You're in Seattle. Before this episode, I had never been to an escape room. Sounds like something full of scorpions and eyeballs from like a mid-2000s fear factory. It is not. Seth is the co-creator of Hourglass Escapes. It's a Lake Union business that puts you and some friends into a room full of puzzles and mysteries. Solve them and you win your freedom. Or just open the door and leave. There's no one keeping you there. Even though it's called an escape room, you can come and go as you please. You get an hour to put your brain into action without your smartphone. In person, with your friends, touching tangible things. Not swiping through mazes on a screen. Rather, you're using your mind and your monkey hands to unlock cryptic containers and solve puzzles. After the conversation you're about to hear, Seth invited us to come play around in his escape room. Hourglass Escapes. And it makes me all the more excited for what they're up to. As a Rubik's Cube solver, I love a good puzzle, and this one delivers. I mean, it's the dumbest note. It's what's an escape room. (laughs) But it's because it's so hard to explain to people. Yeah. And it's like, I want something that's like very, very specific. Um... So it's like more, there's like a nice Wikipedia entry, Uh. (laughs) but I mean that way it's, and then I can give mine, but it's just trying to find that standardized thing I think is like really important. So Seth, do you work in this neighborhood somewhere? Do you have like a a regular gig that you go to every day? Uh, Yeah. I imagine the escape room business isn't Um, one where you just like jump right in and you don't have to like go to work. You don't have to say specifically because you you gave me a look like my boss will be mad if he knows that I did this. (laughs) Well, good thing we're meeting after work hours. Uh, (laughs) Exactly. Is this being recorded now? Yeah, I just, I will tape right away. And so we like end up. Uh, (laughs) That's the part that's a little, uh, I'm definitely, you know, keeping a little hushed. I mean, of course. So they don't even really, some people know about my gig. But yeah, during the week, um, I work at a medical simulation company. I am a sculptor and a mold maker. Oh, what? Yeah, I love the job. Um, So just the escape room is a nights and weekend thing. I mean, it's a lot of work because it's, more than a full-time job. Wait, go back to what you, say <laughs> say what you do again? So, I make fake body parts for doctors to practice surgery on. Oh, weird. Yeah. Did, did you watch Stranger Things? I'm guessing. Oh, yeah. That, oh that, yeah, I can't wait for the sequel. The, spo- the next spoiler step. alert everyone that's not, <laughs> but like when they like look at that that body and they like suddenly it's like looks like a dead body and then he cuts it open yeah. and it's fake. I imagine that had to be like <laughs> I <laughs> ring some bells for you. Yeah, I mean, cuz I started out doing makeup effects in the 80s in high school. Like yeah. that's what I wanted to do, so um, Where are you from? Uh, Philadelphia, okay, originally. Right. Outside in the suburbs, a little town called Willow Grove. And uh, yeah. there was a movie camp for kids that oh. my brother went to. So when I was like eight, nine years old, we were you know going to camp and making movies with... I mean, they had Super 8 and 16 millimeter. And then like they actually had real video equipment. Like I mean, it was amazing. Cool. Um, so I just 
originally wanted to do stop motion like King Kong was and Sinbad movies were like the big thing. Yeah. Um, when you said Sinbad, I thought of the comedian. I yeah. Was like, <laughs> I just I just wanted to make, you know, shirts make... like he wore and, and you know. <laughs> Necessary Roughness 2 was what I was setting out to make. But... <laughs> yeah, I'll, uh, I'll warn you ahead of time. I'm pretty movie deficient. I don't okay. like, know much about film. I went to uh, college at some point and like I was supposed to go for media. Right. And it ended up being a, just a trap. I got like tricked into doing film and I was like, I don't want to do film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I don't care about movies at all. <laughs> but I love this angle that you have of being able to find like something, a way to uh, like a like a little like facet of movies that are like fascinating yeah i mean like so when i was a kid like i just i wanted to do those things so i saw um i don't know who what movie he worked on but there's a magazine that had this guy and i'm like hey how do i get the the puppets the parts to make my own oh. and he's like well they're a lot of money because he knew i was like 12 yeah that's the first thing hi. i would lead with I, exactly i always used to lead hi i'm 12 <laughs> uh, because then they would talk to me forever right, right and he's like hey try getting this makeup book and learn makeup effects it's cheaper and he's like go to the, your local makeup store so i did that and met people and just apprenticed with a guy um working on a really bad but now cult zombie film from the 80s called zombie army it's somewhere out in the universe oh my god um and that guy just taught me so much. And we're still good friends. He's, um, if you ever watch any animated film, he's the lead modeler on it, probably. He's oh, wow. super, super famous uh, in the computer animation world. But in the makeup world, he got to work with everybody. And he's just, we've been friends ever since. And he's trained me in computer modeling stuff, too. And Oh, wow. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I've had a lot of weird... <laughs> weird jobs you I know. wish I could remember the name of the up in uh, like Michael Tio or something like that there's like a big video uh, a guy who collected all these like crazy videos and made an online like uh, distribution oh. for it oh uh, nice what's it called um I'll find it out and I'll put it in. Um, but there, there. So there's like a there's a community here, like a hidden community of all the strange films that you're saying somewhere way out there. That that thing exists. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I pro <sighs> and I like so. Um, so I guess when I was, you know, started out, I just started doing monster movies and stuff, and oh, so got cool. into getting to work on Nickelodeon because it was in Philly at the same time. You know, when I was in high school, sneaking away, cutting school to do movies, and then eventually <laughs> moved to Orlando and did a lot of theme park work and uh, wax figures at Ripley's and stuff. And what really? Yeah, <laughs> you worked for Ripley's doing wax? Yeah, the wax figures um, for like th two or three years, um, but it was like at the height of making the wax figures for all all over the world. So if you've been to a Ripley's Museum, you've probably seen some of my work. Um, there's a figure I modeled for. Very, I didn't make it, but <laughs> there's a figure of of me somewhere. Uh, and I won't mention where that is because it's just really <laughs> embarrassing. Uh, uh, how how big or small is this community that you're talking about of people that, that you were dealing with? If you're talking about the top that, guy. Well, I mean, when I first started out, the guy I apprenticed for... Um, he was working for probably the best known makeup artist at the time uh, in New York. Um, and like work, he was working on major, major films and he would let me just come and hang out and he'd pay me to work for him. Like pay me well. Like I wish I still made that kind of money. It was amazing because <laughs> most people, they want you to work for free. And he's like, he was all about teaching and giving. So that's kind of what I try to do now. Um, so then in Orlando, it was a pretty small community, hard to get in. Um, but I mean, as I was there, I worked at a makeup supplier and universal in their sets and animatronic department um, became friends with some of the guys who did Blair Witch um, wow. and still work uh, with one of the guys. Uh, he has a web series out in LA that's, or actually it's international web series, but he's in LA and 
get to work with him a lot uh, here and there, and it's been pretty fun. And the site that I was looking for, something weird video. It was like a. Oh yeah, I know. Yeah, it was based out of here. I didn't know that. Okay, yeah, yeah. and so I, we, another guy who's been on the show, go back and listen to the Andrew Ginn episode. I will. He, yeah, uh, he worked for uh, for again something weird video for a while, and it was like he would bring me all these very strange burned DVDs of like old, yeah. cla- uh, not classics, but old like uh, genre pieces and stuff that are crazy. Yeah, yeah, I know. I know for a fact. Actually, he, I think, was selling or has access to Zombie Army because I, I, he's one of the people who I found because I was looking for a copy on DVD, like just a better copy than I had an original VHS, yeah. handmade cover that they were selling. You know, back in video stores in the oh, late eighties. I'll hit him up and see if he's got a, a angle on that for you. Here. Yeah, right. yeah. Uh, that's okay. So, I can only imagine being a kid and like just getting like one of the guys who's like one of the best actually responds to you and like sparks that. What were you, what were your first like things that you did with makeup and like uh, and the trials that you did so i started out and i would go to the makeup store and i would just read there was like only three or four books at the time there's no schools and there was a couple magazines that were uh like really trade magazines but made in someone's basement in jersey um (laughs) so i would just go through and figure out how to make stuff and i'd go to the makeup store and the woman there was a theatrical makeup artist so i would start learning how to do film stuff like foam latex masks i'd show her I was like 15, 16, and yeah. she'd show me how to do other stuff that she knew. And then as I moved and met this one guy, he just trained me. You know, we were doing low-budget films together, and if he was doing a big-budget thing, he'd let me sneak in and help him, you know, pay me a couple bucks. But, you know, he was working for, like, major Oscar winners. It was kind of cool, but can never get credit because it was just, like, kind of help. Yeah, I didn't care. Um, but they were really... Um, because there is less people trying to do it and less access to it, they were nice. They, not that the people today aren't nice, but it was easier for them to be nicer to one person than try to be nice to a hundred people calling yeah. them in a week. So I think the internet, in a way, inundated probably those people. Though there, I mean, there's a lot of online communities where the like the guy who runs the Doctor Who makeup for the the TV show, he runs a Facebook group, and he's always telling people, "Oh, try this, try that, talk to this person." I mean, it's still a re- it's a huge community now, but it's really big on educating each other, working safe, and just helping each other. Like if somebody's a jerk, they <laughs> kick them right off. Oh wow! Yeah, it's just there's no tolerance for that kind of stuff. Now, I mean, were you going to school at this time, or were you or were you just sneaking off to New York City all the time? No. Um, so I was like working a like a lame job at a video store, so yeah. I could just whenever I got a you know a bigger movie. I mean, it didn't pay, but it was like a three week commitment. I'd either quit the job. Or just take the time off yeah. um, and then just go work on it and come back. And then my first real job was teaching makeup effects at the Art Institute of Philly when I was like 21. Oh, wow. And I so just, you taught yourself all that stuff in like less than a decade and then became the instructor. Well, I didn't teach myself. I mean, I learned from a lot of people. And I'm Fair. Um, I mean, but yeah, you're kind of self-taught. Um, and I was too young to be doing that job. And I realized it pretty quick. Um, so I left to go to Orlando where they were going to be making all these movies that they never did, but, <laughs> you know, and then just bugged my way into, you know, what you were saying about asking for the job you want. Yeah. I wanted a job at Ripley's. I wanted to make wax figures. So I called them up. I said, Hey, I don't know if you're hiring. Can I just show you my stuff? So if you do hire, you'll think of me. And that's something I used to do. And I recommend people find the job you want. Just say, Hey, can I just interview? Even if you don't need me, just so when you do need somebody, I'm on your mind. Yeah. And the guy liked it. He talked to me and was like, yep, we're not hiring. So he's like, you know, give a call back once in a while. So once a month, on the first of the month or whatever, I'd call him up at like 9 a.m. and just say, hey, just checking in. 
yeah. you know, or, hey, I just did some new stuff here. I just wanted to show you. Yeah. And then after about a year, he had an opening, hired me, and that's similar how I got into Universal. And So, so tell me some of the wax figures that you've done. Um, we worked on a lot of busts. Um, my favorite is a guy who puts a snake in his nose and pulls it out of his mouth. <laughs> um, and we had, like, photos of this guy. And I'm... My memory's not great, but I think the guy we body cast and mo- who modeled for that yeah. might have been on the Mortal Kombat TV show like a year later as <laughs> one of the characters. Get over here! Yeah, he was like, <laughs> I, you know, I'd know him if I saw him. Sure. Um, I mean, he was like 20-something, um, but uh, he was just a local actor at the time. Uh, but that's one of my favorites because it's a full-body figure. He's just basically wearing like a little diaper and uh, shoving a snake in his nose. And it looks so real in person and in photos oh. and... Um, but I mean, we like made copies of stuff. Like there's a guy, Marv Alvellino. I don't know how I remember this crap. Um, and his eyes would bug out. Um, the tallest man in the world, the shortest man, the heaviest person. I mean, so because those the the uh, the Ripley stuff, even in book form and stuff, was yeah. such a big deal at that period because there oh, wasn't yeah. the internet. There wasn't. 4chan to like really no get no no it like, was, there was the tv show yeah like i grew up on the jack palance show yeah you know uh, where he was doing it back in like the 70s i was a kid watching these things getting freaked out um and that's one of the other places i figured out what i wanted to do here and there like um i remember seeing uh they interviewed this woman on forensic art and she would take a skull and sculpt it and i wanted to do that so bad when i was working at like ripley's. a real skull yeah. yeah so i was working at ripley's and we'd get the cartoons like once in a while the little one panels and it was a cartoon of that person so i'm like now i can go figure it out and so i went took a class and i've learned and done a few forensic you know reconstructions just because of like this weird chain of events oh. you know um that's, yeah, that's fantastic. And this is just, this is just from you going and being like, I want to do this. Someone let me do this, yeah. and just being persistent about it. I mean, yeah, there's, and having skill. But no, no, no. I'm creative, <laughs> but I'm not artistic. It's all learning tips and tricks. I was like, I was just teaching last year. I was teaching weekends at the UW, teaching makeup effects, oh, doing wow. these like little seminars, you know. And we get a 14 year old kid, and this is what they wanted to do, and. They just, you knew it. They wanted to do it. And you just teach them the little tips and the tricks and like, you know, little things that when you add those all up, it looks good. Yeah. But yeah, I'm not, like, I can't draw, can't paint. I've got to work at everything and I've just learned these workarounds that seem to really work. I mean, it's the same though with, I think, a, a lot of the things that we see and take for granted, all the best stuff is all those little extra details that make it incredible, that make it art. Yeah, yeah. And so you might not draw very well, but you know where to make just a little extra detail mark that like, yeah. I wouldn't know to do. Right. You, or hire somebody to do the detail mark for me. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. Yeah. I mean, that's another skill all in itself. Yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. Okay, so then you worked for Universal? Yeah, so I was living in Orlando. Like, I basically was sanding fiberglass characters for Disney stores. You know, duct tape on your fingers, sanding in the heat and the rain for, like, hours a day. And I'm oh. like, they, Halloween came up, and they do Halloween Horror Nights. It had just started, you know, maybe the, that year around. Uh, so I got in the makeup department and just saw that they were doing animatronics. And I really wanted to do that. And I had a lot of skills with the materials. So an opening came up and I just spent like six, seven years in the middle of the night, 10 o'clock at night, you go in to make sure everything by the morning looks great. And we did all the animatronics, some of the scenic stuff. So I was in charge of King Kong for like four years 
and that was <laughs> pretty... is this at Universal Studios? Yeah, in Orlando. Oh man, that were uh, I mean, there's that, and then there's like the earthquake ride where the yeah. water goes rushing through. Yeah, and like okay, yeah. So, oh, you're just really triggering my childhood right now. This is incredible. Oh, it was awesome. Yeah, King Kong was my favorite because I, you know, you ride up in this giant lift and you take off all the fur and they inspect it. You put it back. What? Like every day? Yeah, yeah. You had to take apart a certain part for inspection. Um, Universal is a great company. I love them, and uh, like it was just like they had their own safety rules, well above other theme parks in my opinion so like every day you had to inspect certain parts of it so it was just it was a process like the first time you do it it takes hours yeah. i mean four or five hours to get part of it open and then another four or five hours to close it oh my god and there's people waiting by the time i was done in four years i could do it in about 10 minutes but i mean it's just it, it was amazing how hard it was the first few years and you just you know um i imagine that takes the magic out of it a little bit when you see what makes it work how Not you- for me. I mean, <laughs> well, no, because then I, I I appreciate stuff in a different way. So so yeah, I mean, I would lo- I loved seeing like how stuff worked and learning a bit. Um, no, hold on though. Like, you're taking apart like the same thing and then putting uh, putting it back together every day, yeah. and it does the same function every day for yeah. uh, you know ten thousand new people every single day. Yeah. <laughs> To me, that doesn't change enough. That doesn't. There's not enough. Like you have to look at the same parts all the time. Well, it breaks differently every day. <laughs> okay. Um, no, there. So there are some things where um, I feel like I'm talking too much. No, <laughs> that's what this is about. No, man. I know, but it's just yeah. You know. um, so like there were some things where somebody would break a rock every day at the Barney ride, and you'd have to go and paint this stupid rock every day. That's one thing. But to have to just open it up takes 10 15 minutes you walk away the mechanics come in and they do it then you put it together sometimes you're hoping something gets scratched so you can repaint it yeah. like the aliens and men in black we got to repaint a lot when they first got there you know dinosaurs you had to cut them open and then glue them back. i mean i don't know if i'm giving away some of the magic um but uh it was just such a cool place i mean i i love the people and the place and the things that we that they had made that we worked on just were beautiful you know, we didn't get to create that much, but we would remake stuff and repaint stuff. So what pulls you away from doing something like that? There's always something bigger and better or another grass yeah. is greener moment or something. Uh, it was Night Shift, yeah. which in hindsight I kind of missed, but um, it got to the point where I could do my job too easily. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you spend a lot of time driving around in circles in a golf cart looking for stuff to do. And it just got, I got complacent. And then um, at the time I was I was thinking about moving and I found a job in New York doing uh, teaching makeup there at a beauty school. So I just, you know, me and I guess it was my fiance at the time, we moved up there and I did that for a couple of years and then the company got bought out. Yeah. And then... Then that, I, that's the problem with these creative endeavors is that yeah. both you, you have to both maintain your interest it has to not become commonplace for you to be like well here I am fixing this thing again yeah and, and it's such a fickle industry that it can like uh, it can dry up be- right before your eyes oh yeah yeah I mean in Orlando there was some film work here and there but it wasn't a huge amount so I went and taught and then that was you know I didn't like the company that bought it out so I just decided to try medical prosthetics because it was so close to what I do. And I found the company that did these really realistic ones, did that for a year, didn't like the company, and then went back to New York to another prosthetic company. <laughs> and then they had some stuff going on, and I just decided I wanted to try to make skeletons. And I found this place out here, and I just said, hey, are you hiring? And they just happened to have let somebody go that week, and two weeks later I was oh my in gosh. Seattle. So you're in Seattle just living <laughs> just like that. That's crazy. <laughs> wow. That's um, I can only imagine 
that you you at 15 wouldn't see yourself later working for a medical prosthetics company? No, uh, no, I thought then I would probably be doing movies, but at the same time, the older I get, the less I like instability and freelance. So is that whole world like that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, even if you're at the best shop in the world, so like if I went out to LA, I'd be a nobody. Mm-hmm. There'd be people, a thousand people, half my age with better skills. Um, so it's like to go out there, you are sweeping floors, mixing plaster. You're never going to sculpt. You're never going to really make stuff. Um, I mean, you can. I don't want to say you never can. But I mean, it's just such a big industry now. At least on the East Coast, it was small shops or just you. Like around here, I was doing a lot of film work. Um, just the 48-hour horror film festival yeah. and the 48-hour fests and you know, just there's a lot of really amazing filmmakers here in town. So I've worked with them here and there. But um, well, how has the ability for people to make their own films? It's changed, obviously. How has the like reduction in cost to be able to make your own uh, film helped or hurt your business of wanting to do that? Um, I think it's easier to make films, but then people don't have any money to make them well. Like they. It. it to some, I think it might be a badge of honor to do a movie with no money. Um, but, I mean, I think it's too easy in some respects because then you don't need any money, but you don't want to pay anybody else. Um, or, you know, they want a monster, but they're like, I got 50 bucks. And I'm like, well, it's like maybe 10 grand too, li- too little. <laughs> um, but at the same time, it's great that people are doing that yeah. and they're learning. Um, I, I, th- I st- And I don't know if this is because of my age. I think... Because there's so much information on the internet, and a lot of it, a lot of people are grabbing little bits and pieces, but they're not actually learning how to do stuff, mm-hmm. as opposed to, at least for me, when there's only a few books, you had to learn how to do the fundamentals and do it well, and learn some of the basic old school tricks, that when you translate that into the newer stuff, you get a better product. You know, So I think it's a mix of marrying... The old methods with the new, not just going, hey, I can use a computer to do all this, but then everybody knows you did a computer. You know, when you look at the new, the newest Star Wars, sure. it has weight to it, gravity. That's what, I've heard that a million times before, that you need to have gravity, like that the, the thing needs to feel like it's moving through, not in space, like Star Wars space, but like right. through the space in the room. There, yeah, there's weight to it. Like, yeah, so I mean, I think- It needs there, to feel physical. Yeah, there was an old magazine that I started- reading when I was a kid called Cinemagic and it taught you how to do camera tricks and like you know you don't you turn the camera upside down to make things look like they're going you know down or up or whatever or you know how to do a cloud tank now everybody does it in the computer but you just always can tell yeah because there's always some algorithm there I mean it's definitely getting better I mean there's stuff people are doing you never know is done on a computer Um, but it's always cool when they combine it and I think combining the new methods with some of the physical effects like uh the movie the thing the 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 prequel that came out a few uh a little while ago maybe a couple years ago they shot everything practical effects but the studio wanted computer effects because it was quicker and you had this amazing movie with these amazing effects that never got shown you know um and there's still people wanting to see that on the DVD at some point, but... <laughs> I hope that'll happen. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, the guy who did it is an amazing artist. So when so. you hear a guy like J.J. Uh, Abrams be like, listen, we're going to go back to some more practical effects, your eyes might less light up. Then. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And then it, I think it paid off. Yeah. I mean, it brought me back to my childhood because when you see... 
it's just a little bit it just feels real there's a feel to it you know you're not watching some sort of cartoon yeah. but i don't know maybe it's my eye the yeah. general public may not notice it but i do at the same time i mean like if uh with music for us if i get up off my butt and go over across the room and put an actual record on and it runs out you know plays one side and then runs out i'll find myself 10 minutes later just listening it'll be done or whatever like oh yeah the record i have to go and flip it over as yeah. opposed to just being inundated with a low quality stream of music whatever i want all the time the challenge of having to do it, of having a physical thing, is a little bit more rewarding in terms of the experience. And I yeah. can only imagine that that's a similar feeling when it comes to watching something that, sure, CG that you can tell is CGI versus a uh, practical effect. You might get used to it after a while, but it's not as satisfying. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, but I mean, I'm learning how to do 3D modeling because we do a lot of 3D printing at work and I do some 3D printing cool. stuff. Um, so, I mean, it's, I, I think it's the future. Yeah. Um, but I think they're always going to need some of the physical stuff. And, and the film industry is going back to that. I think they're starting to see that you can't just have one without the other to get the best product, you know? Um, so, I mean, back to the original question yeah. with the local movies being made, I think technology and, you know, it's great that people can make movies easier with their iPhone or whatever. They can make a movie. Um, it's just, hopefully they don't get complacent in that quick and easy quality that they, they want to get better and better as opposed to just going, oh, this is good enough. Well, I mean, the the, the brilliance of like a, of a Blair Witch or a Cloverfield yeah. or something like that is that it's shot to look like it's shot like that. But right, But right. there's still professionals that are still know how to make a film making a film. Abs- abs- absolutely. Yeah, I mean, when they did Blair Witch, that's when I knew a lot of those guys and um, they did it the kind of the way you see it, but I mean, they really knew what they were doing. They were hungry to make, they wanted to make the best product. Yeah. You know, and they had no expectations. So it was just awesome. And they're nice and they're super cool people too. I imagine that your bread and butter is Halloween. <laughs> you must you must light um, up that time of year. Uh no, it's the opposite. What? Really? <laughs> yeah, because nobody has money on Halloween. And I, I used to do a lot of stuff on Halloween and I'd work my ass off. Well, and I mean, but how about personally? Like you you're you're talking about Um It it can be. Yeah. Um like last year. Uh, a couple of us got together and we did a really cool makeup and we went and won a big contest, made some money, yeah. and it was an awesome makeup and it was just kind of done with old pieces, but we had a blast. Yeah. Um, but usually, honestly, I'm just so tired at that time of year. <laughs> like this year, we're, we're, I'm working, you yeah. know, on the escape room. Um, the couple years before, um, you know, I do some fun stuff, but I don't drink. So, like, going out to a bar, like, I don't mind going to see shows and stuff, but going to, like, a nightclub yeah. at my age is just kind of creepy you know like i'm the creepy old guy there like so on halloween you know i'll go to a party and stuff but in a way um i need to get back into doing more stuff for myself on halloween but it's kind of just i've taken a break well, I was guess. there a time when you when you were younger that that was like the oh ex- yeah yeah that was the time uh, yeah i mean i would do like full makeups and like go and just like get crazy oh, you know cool. every year I'd, I'd do a different like weird demon makeup and you know yeah and just run around town with friends and like <laughs> i mean it was a blast and i missed that um but it's like as i get older i have more responsibilities less time yeah um but yeah, like I have ideas for next year already that I'm like brewing in my head and hopefully I can actually make those happen, you know, 
this year there's just no just no time unfortunately we we talked a little bit via email about this and um but i was surprised to see how into halloween the country of japan was i was just recently yeah. there oh and, yeah, yeah and everywhere you went it was like they were it was three weeks before halloween and they were so excited about it and so <laughs> um what a what a weird little country no i was there in october about the same time of year like all i remember is it was hot yeah really really hot yeah and then there was like a typhoon or a tsunami the night i was going to go see a band because oh. I, ta- I wanted to see some music there yeah. i don't know if you got to see any. no we didn't there's a, a band called zainichi funk yeah if you look them up it's a Japanese James Brown style band that's amazing, and I was so excited to go see him. And like a tsunami hits that night, and like I couldn't leave the the hotel, yeah. you know. And then we went, I went to I ended up going to like a rockabilly show one night, which was pretty wild. I didn't even consider trying to find music to go to while there. That's like what a huge opportunity wasted. I was just a, a tourist the whole time, looking at like temples and whatnot. Yeah, no, and I did that too, but. Uh, <laughs> Next time you go back, and I mean, I, w- I already wanted to go back right yeah. away. I don't, I'm sure you felt the Absolutely, same way. Absolutely. Um, I want to go and not look at temples yeah. and just see, like, just everyday life. But yeah. yeah I, what made you decide Japan? Uh, I've just had a fascination with um, when I was young. I, I mean, silly things like when I was a kid, I loved the idea of like ninjas and karate and stuff yeah, like yeah. that. And my parents always shooed me away from that. And so when I became an adult, I'll show you, mom and dad. Uh, <laughs> and so I like was real into that. And then I read the book Shogun at some point by James okay. Clavell. And that's a fantastic look at Japan being colonialized by the Westerners. Yeah. Um, and then I had an instructor in college who... Pretty, I'm pretty sure he was just a professor for the sake of getting to re- research in Japan for a year at a time every couple of years. <laughs> he was just looking for that next opportunity to go back. And and he was so fascinated by it. And I already had an interest in it. So he really liked talking to the kids in class that weren't just there for a credit, but that right. like, were excited about it. Um, and so, yeah, then I just got the opportunity. My wife was like, sure, let's go to Japan for our honeymoon. I was like, you're the coolest ever. And we traveled for 10 days and oh, just con- wandered around. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, brand new ring. It's uh, nice and shiny. Oh, that's awesome. Um, what, what what did you so how did you feel when you walk into a 7-Eleven and you see people sitting down to eat dinner with their families yeah it was the, <laughs> people don't understand that 7-Eleven is like a it's like a big deal there and if you're um, if you're from America like we are um, and you need money you go to 7-Eleven to use <laughs> right. the ATM because it's the only place that you can like really use your ATM card to yeah. get money without having to go into a bank and like deal with the idea that you don't speak Japanese yeah yeah and so um, it was they they have the best. I'm into soda water. Okay, and, and they have the best soda water there. And I don't know how they do it, but when you unscrew the lid here, it goes. Yeah. There's a spray everywhere. There you unscrew it, and it goes pop like that at the top. And then it, yeah. uh, it it's the best. They're grapefruit Seven Eleven soda water. <laughs> Send me a case, Japan. <laughs> so. I wonder if you, you probably could get that around here if you if you look. Maybe watch or something yeah, like yeah. that. The onigiri, the uh, the little rice triangles that are yeah. everywhere. Oh, I couldn't stop eating those. Turns out not so good for your intestines, <laughs> but um, but lovely as a snack everywhere we went. And I was like. I was so excited that I wanted to talk to all the Japanese people, and I like engaged everyone I yeah. could, and they were like terrified by the idea that like someone was breaking their like space and being like, yeah. "Tell me stuff." Yeah, but I, it's a it's a wonderful place. And then I can only imagine that there's maybe not as much now, but there had to be some between the fascination with Japan of being interested in America and with them making so many films and uh, being into the gaming and everything. There is there any application for your skills in a place like japan yeah but you need um so i have a when i worked at universal they opened universal japan and through Mm -hmm. some people i knew a guy who was in charge of their sister our sister department there 
Um, so when I went out there, I talked to him about working in Japan on animatronics where he was kind of one of the bosses. And the first thing he's like, well, you need to know Japanese. Um, so that's the big yeah, that's a tough hurdle. One. And then their culture is so different. I don't think I'm too much of a slacker in yeah. that sense. I couldn't handle it. Um, yeah, they work work 20 hours a day and don't talk to anyone and head down. (laughs) And then as soon as they're done, they go out all night. Um, but yeah, I mean, they, I love their artwork. Mm -hmm. I felt like, I don't know if you went to museums, but when I went, Mm -hmm. it got, I got the impression that artists were revered there and not just considered like, you know, people who sleep all day like they are here, (laughs) you know? Well, to me, it was the idea that, um, you would have, um, the idea that you would have, how do you say this? That everyone's job was revered. Everyone that did anything there, the, there, you were there with purpose. Whether you were the guy at the train station helping Americans that were lost figure out where they were going, or the guy that worked at Seven Eleven, or the lady that was leading the tour at the museum, everyone took their job so seriously that if you were an artist, if you were a trained artist, that's a career in itself that people would be that would respect you for. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and I don't, I don't know. I just had such a blast. Yeah, and just I loved going somewhere where. Nobody spoke English. Yeah. And I just could just be and just people watch and look. And yeah. it was just... Same here. Yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. So cool. Okay. So the whole reason that you're here is because we're looking at this... Uh, it's called an escape room. And I know you have your notes. <laughs> we started with that. <laughs> but um, you've in your spare time... Shout outs to your boss who's going to be cool about this if he hears this. Uh, but <laughs> in your spare time, you've started something called an escape room. And I, I was not new to the idea, but I never really stopped to think what it was, other than it sounds like you're in a room on Fear Factor and it's filling with snakes and you're going to die. We don't use snakes anymore. I mean, we're just down the scorpions, <laughs> but the tails are pulled. No, I'm just kidding. Um, yeah, so let's start, let's start with you helping us understand what the crap an escape room is. So I'm going to, I'll do the Wikipedia description and then i'll give you mine so wikipedia basically says an escape room is a physical adventure game in which players are locked in a room and have to use elements of the room to solve a series of puzzles and escape within a set time limit you know the games are a physical versions of escape the room video game okay so that's the wikipedia version so but in more practical terms you're not always locked in like we don't lock people in because a lot of people don't like that and that actually we don't want to lose customers before they even get in the door yeah sure um and I also don't like being locked in. So for us, I describe it, it's like being in a movie. And you're the star. Your friends are the stars. It's kind of like our game in particular is almost like a National Treasure where you have to discover things and unlock things in these artifacts. Um, so, I mean, it's just this awesome time. It's it's an event. It's like going to a show or a movie, but you're in it living it. You're not just watching it you know when you find something you need to physically hold it look at pick it up figure out what it means how to operate it and what to do with it you're like robert langdon in the da vinci code or something like that. yeah 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 exactly you know though we don't have any albinos you know <laughs> trying to murder you trying right to murder you <laughs> yeah yeah hopefully that's in the next room um casting will begin in the spring um <coughs> but so you're setting up a room and there's puzzles in it and yeah. you're trying to then free yourself from the not locked room. Now, I mean, you don't just have three days to sit in there and do this. No. So um, usually it's 60 minutes. Some rooms are a little bit shorter, a little bit longer. So for our particular room, mm-hmm. they, the scenario is, and it's it's immediately once we unlock the door and let you into the business, um, 
you uh, we explain that a few why people are there. We tell them why they're here to remind them that a few weeks ago, Dr. Carter, oh. who was a famed archaeologist, was in Egypt. He discovered the pyramid of the mad puzzle obsessed pharaoh Ah Raman Two Step. Unfortunately, he hadn't deciphered the scroll. That guy loves ska music. He's a real skanking, yeah, <laughs> skanking maniac. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. Um, so, unfortunately, Dr. Carter hadn't deciphered the scroll before he sent the artifacts back. And that scroll explains how the Pharaoh's spirit will try to possess anybody who removes the artifacts as one of his traps. And either Dr. Carter's going to run out of air or get possessed and the Pharaoh's going to take over the world, releasing plagues. So Obviously. we need all the experts that have come in to help us with these antiquities. Talk with Dr. Carter via satellite live while he's trapped in the pyramid. He's got a sat phone there. So you're going to be talking to him and he's going to help you and you're going to try to discover and unravel the mystery of the sarcophagus and help him escape. Or maybe we all die. I don't know. But usually there's enough time to take a Facebook photo for the website. Even if the plagues get released, there's always that enough time. Oh, good. I'm glad that that's... Uh... Well, you got to let people know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we don't want everyone just trapped indefinitely with no explanation. Then we've got, then we've yeah. got Stranger Things again. <laughs> exactly. Even pharaohs like Twitter. <laughs> um, okay, well, f- fantastic. So you're... You're entering into a contained environment where you're yeah. trying to solve puzzles. Now, I mean, is it interactive? Is it engaging? Oh, like, yeah. How does it work? So, um... I don't want you to give away anything. No, either, so. no, I know, I know, I know. I'm trying to, like... So, one of the things we do that's a little bit different is, first of all, you can win a prize. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just... It's a token. Um... And because we actually even have a little extra puzzle that we let people know about. Mm. Um, but everybody has a role. So you might come in and it turns out that you are obsessed with Tupperware. Oh. And this isn't one of the real roles. But it turns out you've been developing secretly on the side from your radio gig a full-size Tupperware sarcophagus. And Guilty. you're trying to figure out some sort of new burp-free technology. So you've been sent here by your bosses and you have a little bit of extra information that might help you in the uh, adventure that you're about to have. Okay. So everybody's got one specific thing that's just for them. So when you do escape room, sometimes you know you feel like you're like, I don't know what I even worked on when it's done. <laughs> you may have worked on 10 things and not been the person who unlocks the door or whatever you're trying to do. So sometimes you don't feel as useful as maybe you really were. So we have given everybody a specific role that they work with each other and they can also work solo, but you have a reason that you're there and it's your expertise or your secret little weird hobby that is why we've called you from the Seattle Archaeological Antiquities Office <laughs> cool. um, because Dr. Carter needed us to save him. So that's kind of the premise. And then when you come into the office, we've, you know, it's already an antiquities office. It's set up for him. So you have things ready to help you solve this mystery and save the world and save him. Now we've talked a lot about makeup and sure. animatronics and all that. So is there a um is there specifically a way that you've been able to apply that stuff? Uh yeah. Yeah. I mean I'm trying to think what I can't and can't yeah, okay, say. Okay, so we can expect so, like some animatronic stuff. We can uh, interactive some engaging things. I will uh, <laughs> <laughs> So um I, I will say it's immersive, so you don't you're walking into an office, but it doesn't look like we just threw up an office that day. Which, I mean, you're coming into an established antiquities office. Mm-hmm. There are antiquities. Um, as I explain to people who come in, it's similar to an escape room, but it's not one of those stupid games. You are here because of your expertise, mm. and these are real artifacts. And a lot of the people that come through, they they resonate with that because. Everything you see has been made by hand, 
And that's where my expertise has come in. Oh, cool. So you don't see um, some sort of store-bought puzzle. If you see something, it looks like it's, an- like it's ancient. It feels... It's got weight to it. Yeah. So there's nothing like... You no know, paper mache. It's not like... If it's supposed to be metal, it feels or is metal. If it's supposed to be wood, it is probably wood. Um, you know, there's a few things that might take you out of a little bit of out of that immersion, but it's so minuscule. Nobody's ever complained. Um, but, you know, we had uh, a friend of mine who uh, actually scored the, the game. Oh, cool. So we have a little bit over an hour of original music that's specifically written for the game that there's certain things that happen. It goes with it. And it's I mean, I love it. Like, I, I have to listen to it all weekend, uh, and I don't mind. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's there the the magic of the sarcophagus is there, and you feel and see magic happen, um, but it's immer- it's in an immersive way. Oh, cool. So at no point do you see a computer pop up or inside something that you shouldn't see, you know? Okay, well, this is I guess this is the would be the challenge, and we started by talking about this a little bit, in uh, as coincidence but sure. like this is a, a room where we physically have to get together what i guess what is it about an escape room that's attractive in a world that's pokemon go and nba 2k 17 and like what why do you think there's a, a need for this i i think because people want to realize their potential in so they play these escape the room apps and it's fun but it's flat Mm-hmm. And it's not really something you do with friends. So this is, it's an activity. It's, we try to make it an event. We want it to be a show, not just you coming to play something, you know, cause you're not coming to play a game. You are coming to save the world. We want you to, even if you don't save the world and Dr. Carter, we want you to have an awesome time. You know, we partnered with a local restaurant down the street. So like if you go and you come to us, you just have to say, Hey, can you guys make us a reservation for seven down at Mollusk? And we make the reservation after the game, before the game, you head down a few blocks and you can have an amazing meal. They have like really good beer. And it's like, so we make it an event. So I think it's, you know, when you go out with your friends, sometimes you don't want to just go out to a bar. Yeah. This happens you know? all the and, time. And this or... is a tech place. So we're right down the street from Facebook and Amazon. So those are the people who we get, um, it's just it's a fun family kind of friendly thing. Yeah. Um it's active but not too active. Um it's not it's just the right amount of time. So it just I think people just they want to be in their own action movie. They they see these shows and these movies and they want to be kind of like that character. And this gives them a chance to do more than just watch somebody solve a mystery on TV. They're doing it. And they also know they did it. It's not being fed to them. I love the idea that I can text my friends that live a million miles away. I like I love that yeah. component of life now. I don't like that we're running out of ways to be able to actually meet in the physical world. There's something about how the digital world has allowed us to expand our network to people that you otherwise would fade away. Like all my friends from back home. Like they've they're gone effectively unless you go home for a reunion or something like that they don't exist but then you add in Facebook and suddenly we're friends again but we can't ever have a one on one physical relationship where we go and do something together this sounds like a fantastic way to break that uh, break that back down into like what our own community is yeah and it's I I feel like maybe it's my circle of like my nerdy friends but it's not even just that cult i mean we've get families we get high schoolers and they're just like they just want something different yeah and also i think 
when you've lived in Seattle, how many things can you do if you're like, you know, how many times can you go to the same place? Yeah. I mean, now granted, you can only come to an escape room and play the scenario once, but I mean, it's it's just different. It's a, it's a little bit, I think it's exciting. Um, sure. I, well, I mean, but how does that play into it? I actually was thinking about that. Like, how does a single time event like that work for you? Is this, does it have a shelf life? Is it something that you have to consider how to change or adapt? Yeah. So, most rooms stay open until they're not popular anymore. And then they open up a new room. So usually oh. there's multiple. We have a second room we're building. Um, we're hopefully, I'm designing it now. Yeah. Um, so hopefully it'll be ready in about three months. That's the goal. Um, we don't want to rush into it. Like, sure. I mean, I spent, when you come and see this one, there's certain aspects that took months to design. The next one is going to be a little bit different. But, you know, you just have multiple rooms. So we know they're going to come back. Um, we also send them to some other rooms around that we're friends with, and they send their customers to us. So it's a really great um, little just community. So, yeah, I mean, it's just, you know, it's limited maybe where in two, three years, nobody, everybody who would play it has already played it. But, I mean, we also live in an area where there's a thousand people getting hired at Amazon every day. <laughs> so, and, you know, so I don't know if I'm really worried about that yet, but it is in, in my mind. Well, there's great reviews and stuff on your Facebook page. Yeah. And I mean, people are really responding positively to it, which I think is fantastic. But, like, if you if you were a family that, say, went to the ballet, that's not something that you do every weekend. You might go to a ballet or to a year or yeah. something. Or uh, most, most people that we talk to on the radio go to one to two concerts a year. Exactly. And it's like, um, actually, we just got a really great review from a reviewer a couple of days ago. So we're in like the top three Excellent. best rooms in Seattle, you know, to these people. Um, but yeah, I mean, we get, you know, I just had a family that came in. It was four of them. We usually tell people it's you need a minimum of five. It was like two 13 year old girls, their mom and her boyfriend, and they kicked ass. Yeah. They not only did they win, they did it really well. And most of most of that was their two daughters that were 13 who were really younger than we usually let people in but they just breeze through it and when they were done the first thing they wanted to do is go to another one so they like do you have another one and i said no try this one down the street yeah because so i think it's a good it, it becomes an obsession for some people kind of like you know board games you know and I'm, I'm a rubik's, video games i do rubik's cube that's my thing i love puzzling i like i remember being a kid my mom at uh, the holidays like yeah. now we would always set up puzzles and do puzzles together it was just yeah. like when you had time to fill it was like just solving things, whatever it is, yeah. problem solving, uh, uh, logic problems, all that stuff. So this sounds like a physical world uh, version of the things that I already am. And I know. I have, there's one object, or there's one thing I can't wait for you to try because I know you're going to flip out over it. <laughs> Something very specific. Okay. Um, because, I mean, you're not just dealing with a Rubik's Cube. You might walk into a room and there might be like a wall that's a Rubik's Cube or, you know, a chair that's a Rubik's I mean, so that's yeah. what's cool about escape rooms. Um, but yeah, I, th I think it's just the appeal is it's new, yeah. but it's a new form of entertainment. Um, and I, I think people are craving something that's a little bit more, a little less mindless entertainment, a little less revolving around food and drinking, and they just want an activity. Um, and I think that's where the niche is, you know. Tell us where we can sign up. Uh, <laughs> online at hourglassescapes.com.
hourglassescapes.com on social media as well facebook and twitter yeah same place at uh, hourglass escapes um I'll, I'll check it out i'll put it on the uh, website when we do it um so and then there's one other thing i i definitely want to mention is so there's a place called seattle cancer care lines yeah so i don't know if i i don't know if i even mentioned this to you so what I, we did was we wanted to do a charity through the holidays and so instead of doing a black friday sale instead the 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 thing that people are getting is going to somebody else so now besides letting people donate a couple bucks when they sign up you can actually so every time we sell a game for now until the end of the year we're going to give one ticket to seattle cancer care alliance to the patients oh cool so we're giving them in blocks of eight which is the amount for a game actually now we we take nine people but anyway it's basically we're giving games away so for every eight uh games we sell we're giving one free game to the patients and their caregivers and their families so and that's because I'm a survivor and it's just like I wanted to do something for, you know, people that help me and are helping. And they're your neighbors friends. also, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah, actually they are. Yeah. So they're right down the street. So that's fantastic. Yeah, I think we've already given we're, we've got about 15 tickets so far that we're giving away. I mean, the more that I'm happy to give free games all day and night, you know, so it's, you know, I think I think we're going to come close to 100 tickets by uh. the end of the year if things keep going. So, um, yeah, I'm really, I'm really excited because I have some friends who are going through cancer and they're being treated there right now. Oh man. You know, and, um, well, you guys are based in South Lake Union. Yep. Um, there are other ones around Seattle that I've heard of. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. Get, there's all over. Uh, the Hourglass Escapes is here in South Lake Union. Yep. Um, where, specifically? Uh, we're at the corner of Garfield and Dexter and we actually have parking, which is oh. really nice. Well, uh, free sign, parking. Sign us up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So we have free parking. Uh, so yeah, we're right there on, in the heart of you know, we're all the face. We're about a block from Facebook, cool. and yeah, they're brand new facility out there. That's cool. Yeah. Okay, it's Hourglass Escapes. Seth Wolf, Seth Wolfson, excuse me, uh, here in South Lake Union. You got a chance to come in and spend, I don't know, about an hour solving a puzzle, maybe a half hour getting uh, laughing about it, and maybe you go yeah. get some drinks uh, with yeah, a reservation set up. Uh, go to was it again the website www.hourglassescapes.com. Awesome, Seth. Thanks, man. Oh, thank you. You've been listening to So You're in Seattle with Gregor. Follow him on Twitter at HeyGregor. Find more episodes online at SoYou'reInSeattle.com. So You're in Seattle is a burrito butt production. Yeah, you're a good dog chowder. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.